the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Welcome back to the Big Cruise Podcast. It's our pleasure to have you back with us. In this week's show, we'll be shortly talking to Chris Frame to find out all things cruise news. And a little later in the show, we have another cruise review. Now, if you would like to be part of the show, jump online. Visit thebigcruisepodcast.com.au. You can find a Join the Show page there. Whether you've got a cruise uh, question, a cruise tip, or you want to review a cruise ship, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, it doesn't matter when you cruise and uh, what ship you're on, we'd love to, uh, to, to hear your positive cruise news story. Also, just a quick shout out to our sponsors. This show wouldn't be possible without them. Uh, and with the, without the help of our good friends at Sandals and Sunsets, who sell the beautiful Avarka sandals, handmade in Spain and sold with love in Australia. And our other friends at cruisefinder.com.au, where if you are looking for a cruise, they have more than 30,000 cruises, most with live availability. But most importantly, each and every call is answered here in Australia by Australian cruise specialists. And once again, it's time for my favourite part of the show where we're joined by cruise maritime historian Chris Frame. Chris, welcome to the show. Another week, a very busy week um, in, in cruise with lots of things happening. I guess we should just quickly touch on the fact that uh, the US have paused cruise operations for a further 100 days. Yeah, so, um, and it, look, I don't think that was a surprise to anybody with the, the scale of the um, outbreak in the United States. So um, at least until July, currently they're saying that cruising will um, not be going ahead, and um, that's sort of similar to what we're seeing in some other countries. Although I think America's taking the lead a little bit there, but it is a pretty fluid situation. So you know the information is changing all the time. I know from some of the YouTube updates that I've done, where I've talked about what's happening weeks later, somebody might send a message saying, "Is this still current?" So I always say to them, the best thing to do is to contact either the cruise line or your travel agency just to make sure that information is still up to date because it is so fluid. But at the moment, it doesn't look like there'll be any cruise ships going in or out um, of America with passengers on board, at least, um, until the 1st of July. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and as you say, we put this out uh, over the weekend, and by Monday, Tuesday, next week, it'll be a completely different story again. Uh, we do like to try and keep this as positive as possible, so we'll move on to some, uh, some happier times. But first of all, let's do a turn back time and talk about something that happened way back when. 
Well, yes, in 1955, this month in April, um, the White Star Line's Georgic, well, it was the last of the White Star Liners anyway, um, she retired from service. And, and by that stage in 1955, she was actually operating for, for Cunard because White Star and Cunard had merged um, during uh, the Great Depression. But the Georgic's interesting because she, she not only has an Australian connection, but she was, as I mentioned, the last ship ever built for White Star, um, entered service uh, in 1932 and was originally operating um, alongside a sister ship called the Brit- Britannic, which they, the two of them did voyages from Liverpool to New York. Um, they were Britain's largest motor ships, so they had diesel engines rather than the steam turbines, which were a lot more common um, back in the, in the 30s and 40s. Uh, and during World War II, the Georgic was used as a troop carrier uh, and she was bombed um, by the Luftwaffe while she was operating uh, near Egypt. And interestingly enough, my granddad, who was um, f- fighting for the, um, for the British under the Rhodesian um, army, he was traveling to the Middle East um, on board the uh, troop carrier, the New Amsterdam. And as they came into the Gulf of Suez, uh, he actually captured an image of the Georgic on fire after she'd been bombed. And I've got that picture up on my website. So if anyone's interested in seeing it, they can go and check it out. But a pretty remarkable photograph. Um, the ship took on, um, you know, took on water and it actually settled down into the, uh, into the sea. But it was later raised and taken back to the United Kingdom for refurbishment. Um, she was sent back to her builders at Harland and Wolf, the same shipyard that had built Titanic and had actually built most of the White Star Line ships. Um, and when she had been refurbished, she was uh, no longer um, able to operate the premier transatlantic routes because she was really in pretty poor conditions. So she would vibrate quite quite heavily. She wasn't very comfortable for people to to go on board anymore. So they didn't want to put her on the on the high end route. So they actually sent her on the immigration service to Australia. Um, which always, when I mention that in my talks on the ships, it always gets a bit of a laugh from the Aussies because it's like we get the secondhand ships. Um, and she sailed um, on the Australian Immigration Services all the way up until um, until her retirement in 1955. So, you know, interesting ship with an interesting history and for a transatlantic liner to have an Australian connection is quite unusual. So I thought that was a, it was a good one to touch on today. Yeah, absolutely. And just give a quick mention, what's your website? Where can they find further information? Uh, sure. So it's chriscunard.com. Um, if you go to the um, history and fleet and then Cunard White Star, you'll see George. You can that photo there from um, from George, um, my granddad. He he took that picture with a little box camera that he took with him on his on his oh, wow. um, on his well very scary adventure, I suppose, during World War Two. So yeah, yeah um, he had some amazing cool. photographs, and that was one of them. I was just flicking through an album with him, and he had it he had it there, and had taken the picture of the ship, but didn't hadn't hadn't named it. So I was like, oh my goodness, that's the Georgic. And, uh, you know, obviously for me, it's obvious because I've studied the ship, but I, I just, to make sure I was hundred percent accurate, I got it verified by a couple of other maritime yep. historians, including, um, Bill Miller, who's someone that your listeners might know. He's written over a hundred books. Um, and sure enough, this is a remarkable picture of Georgic on fire. Very rare. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And such a personal connection. Yeah. It's very nice. Yeah. I was actually really lucky because, uh, he got the opportunity to see me do a talk on board the Queen Mary two, um, before he passed away. And oh, nice. the picture was up there and afterwards uh, quite a lot of passengers who were interested came up and talked to him about it. So it was quite nice yeah. to see him sort of fielding the questions from the audience, which was which was pretty cool. Oh, lovely. When he was in his 90s, yeah. 
moving back to uh, to today, um, a lot of cruise lines obviously have paused operations, but um, they've obviously got provisions that have already been destined to wherever they were meant to go. Um, yes. Obviously, they've been redirected elsewhere. Yes, I mean, there's all this um, sort of supply chain that they have uh, built around cruising where things are, are ordered months in advance and, and uh, ready for the cruise ships when they come into their various ports. And so it's not really possible to just press a button and switch all of that off. So um, many of the cruise lines now are finding themselves with all this uh, this uh, perishable food that, that they don't require because their ships aren't doing the services. So they're um, doing the doing a good thing and, and donating it to, to areas that are in need. And uh, some of the recent examples is Windstar. Um, they've got a fleet of small luxury ships, around about 300 or so guests. Um, and they've recently donated um, around about $8,000 worth of um, perishable foods. Um, and uh, uh, Pulmanta as well, um, about 13 tons of perishable um, produce is going to um, Spain, for example, which has been very hard hit by um, coronavirus. So for them to be able to offer um, that food that can be used in, um, to feed the, the homeless or to feed people who, who are unta- unable to get out of their homes due to the lockdown uh, is, a, is a nice gesture from the cruise lines and it ensures that that food doesn't go to waste. Absolutely, exactly. Um, Viking Cruise Lines are often considered to be the thinking man's cruise. They've actually launched um, an experiential TV uh, channel. Yeah, I think this is a great idea. So um, actually, one that I was thinking, um, I think many of the other people who lecture on board or are part of enrichment programs were, have probably had the thought as well, is, is there some way to do it electronically so that the, the cruise line is still able to stay sort of in connection with all of their passengers? Because a lot of people on lines like Viking or Seabourn or um, P&O UK or Cunard, for example, um, celebrity, they, they go on board the ships because not only just for the destinations, but you have this sort of enrichment and education program that you can sort of learn fascinating things whilst you're at sea. And so Viking's sort of leading the way there. They've created a, um, a channel where they're going to facilitate um, this sort of activity through the internet, which is great, covering things from um, museum uh, collections that they're going to showcase to having resident historians that can talk about um, different elements of history that, that Viking sort of um, associated with during its cruises. Um, to guest speakers who are doing special sort of broadcasts and, and musicians. It's very popular on cruise ships is the access to live musicians and um, particularly uh, classical musicians who you might not be able to get sort of one-on-one time with in, on land. So I think it's a, a really nice way that the cruise lines are able to, I mean, a lot of people have obviously lost their, their holiday bookings, Barry, with um, all of this um, yeah. drama and they're probably feeling not only sort of a bit isolated but also very disappointed that they're not able to to go on their holiday i mean i know in the scale of things it's a a minor a minor worry really compared to what a lot of people are having to deal with but for the cruise lines to be able to offer uh that sort of virtual experience is a, is a really nice way to keep people connected during during the lockdown period Sure is, and I have to say the Viking content is incredible. There's such a, a, a wide variety available, and if people are interested, it's very simple. It's just Viking.tv. Um, in a similar vein, um, our good friends at Limblad, the uh, expedition specialists, have, have got a similar offering. Yeah, so they're doing they're a sort of um, specialty expedition um, voyages um, and travel, and they're offering sort of virtual expeditions. So um, it's sort of a way that people can explore destinations virtually through through technology rather than obviously physically being there which we're not um, really allowed to do at the moment Um, and so there's all sorts of um, access that they're going to provide to experts in 
um, in the field with uh, lectures um, and live musical performances and cooking demonstrations and all sorts of other um, elements of that um, that experience that they're, they're so well known for, but allowing you to sort of do it from the, the comfort and safety of your own living room during uh, during the next few months. Yeah, and if you're a wildlife uh, fan, then definitely check out Limblad's. Um, they've got these little three-minute videos of uh, destination immersion in Antarctica and the Arctic, and it's beautiful imagery, I have to say. They've also said that they're going to um, provide activities for kids, which I think is really nice because, you know, a lot of people going on cruises or on, on, or on traveling are also traveling with, with families and with children. And at the moment, everybody's sort of at home across, across Australia, particularly with um, um, children at home because the schools are shut down or um, that school holidays in some states as well. And so to have ex- extra activities for the children will be a great way to, to allow the parents to, to have something to, to do with their kids. Absolutely. Uh, Queen Mary, she was on our shores uh, not too long ago. In fact, it only feels like a, a week or so ago, but she's she's already back home. She is. So she actually left um, on the 16th of March. So it's uh, it's been longer than it feels. It's funny how time's sort of warping at the moment a little bit. But um, she was diverted to um, Fremantle in February and, and skipped the Asian leg of her world voyage and actually did a full circumnavigation of Australia, um, ending in Fremantle on the 14th of March. Um, and I was actually on board for the last leg of that trip. And then when we arrived into Fremantle, they announced that the world cruise had been um, cancelled and that basically all, all but about 200 or so passengers left the ship and then the ship sailed back um, to Southampton empty. Um, she went via uh, Mauritius for refuelling and then made a call at Durban where some of the South African crew left the ship um, and then did a mammoth um, voyage up, I think her longest um, direct voyage all the way from Durban to Southampton uh, in one go. So it's sort of a bit reminiscent of the old um, line voyages that the Union Castle ships used to do back in the um, 40s and 50s. And uh, she arrived into Southampton, very emotional welcome. Um, she was joined in there by um, Queen Victoria from Cunard, as well as um, three ships from the P&O fleet, Britannia, Ventura and Azura. Um, a lot of whistle blasts as she made her way in and now she's she's alongside, and uh, I guess she'll be joining the other members of the fleet with that um, in and out activities that they're doing at the moment, where they're going out to to re- reprovision water and then coming back into the port and sort of sitting idle for a bit. But one thing that's really interesting about that voyage is usually during these world voyages, it was ninety five days the ship was away from home, and and usually at the halfway point they do a, a crew and um, and captain swap, um, and Captain Hashmi who who has previously been captain of the Queen Elizabeth and, and actually started off with Cunard on board the QE2. He was um, captain of Queen Mary too when she left Southampton in January and he actually ended up staying with the ship for the entire voyage. So he took her all the way to Australia and back. Um, so he must be feeling very relieved to be, to be back home um, sure. and um, being able to go back to, to see his family and stuff. So um, congratulations to that to ship. What a, what a mammoth voyage, but I think a lot of them are also in the same situation with these, these interruptions to their world voyages this year. Absolutely. Just out of interest, Queen Elizabeth is still off the Australian coast somewhere? Uh, no, she's actually just crossed the equator. Um, still no real indication as to where she might be going. The The voyage tracker originally had her um, destination as the Bismarck Sea, which is just near Papua New Guinea. Um, mm-hmm. But at the moment, it says awaiting orders when you look at the um, uh, marine tracker um, apps. Uh, and so I'm not too sure exactly where she's going, but she is north of the equator. Um, 
as I mentioned before, she she and all the other cruise ships um, have been sort of ordered out of Australian waters, so they have to take her somewhere. But um, Queen Elizabeth's supposed to be in in Australia, Japan, and um, Alaska. Sort of, she was going to go from Australia up to Japan, then across to Alaska, and then come back down to Australia um, between now and and the beginning of twenty twenty two. So, um, unless they are planning to cancel all future itineraries, which I don't think they are. Um, it makes sense to keep her in this sort of part of the world rather than taking her all the way back to Southampton. Yeah, because uh, Alaska's obviously closed until July and, and most of the cruise lines are now uh, deferring and pulling, uh, reducing their fleet that'll be operating for the, the, the part of the season that will be from July through to September. Um, last week, we briefly spoke about Seabourn performing uh, manoeuvres off the coast of uh, Western Australia. Another ship has done a similar activity, um, a ship with a difference, though. It's actually the world, which is the, the residence, of course, and they're currently off the coast of Geraldton, I believe. Yeah, so they actually were um, in Fremantle for quite a while and then they've been at anchor off the coast of Western Australia. But um, as I mentioned, these the ships, they can't really sit um, idle whilst in an operational state for long periods because they have to do um, certain things about changing over of water and that sort of thing. So they do go to sea and um, the uh, the world's actually done something quite, quite interesting as it's performed the shape of a star whilst it's sailing um, at sea, which you can follow on the on the marine trackers and voyage trackers um, to create this sort of beautiful, very precise image uh, in the ocean. And, um, you know, stars have got pointed ends, so it's a pretty <laughs> delicate manoeuvre. Um, and they have these on the bridge of the ships, just behind the bridge in sort of what, what on the older ships would have been sort of the chart room area where they, they plan out all these voyages. They have these uh, these simulators that are built in there to help them work out how to do tricky maneuvers and so a lot of time would have been put into um, planning out how they were going to draw this this image on the ocean and then execute the performance um, and again it's a lot of people who are regular cruisers follow their their favorite ships or follow the ships on voyage trackers to see where they are and to be able to see something sort of delightful like that happening is another way to keep the cruising community sort of engaged and together whilst uh, whilst they're not able to to do passenger voyages and uh, just briefly, we'll head over to the European waterways. Um, Uniworld, Alan Betridge is the, uh, the, the head of Uniworld, has said that she thinks that uh, services will probably resume at some point during 2020. Well, that's very, um, that's, that's very positive news. I mean, uh, everybody's obviously, there's so much different information that's out there. So it's really hard for us to sort of pinpoint um, or anybody to pinpoint with any accuracy when things are going to, to, to resume. But what they're saying is that um, their ships are ready and prepared to operate this year. So as soon as the travel restrictions are lifted, um, they'll be able to to kick back in. And I think that's one of the things we're seeing with um, a lot of the cruise lines is, particularly online, I get a lot of people commenting. I can see it on, on, on various Facebook pages, but also on my own um, social media. Why are they, why are they only cancelling things one month at a time? It's sort of like April, then May, then June. And I think the reason behind that, a lot of it's to do with the fact that no one really knows when it's going to come to an end. And so, you know, if it does get to a point where we can go back to some some form of normality, they don't want to have cancelled everybody's voyages for the rest of the year. They, they're, they're ready. They're ready to go. The ships are ready and prepared um, to pick it up as soon as it's possible again. So um, and that, that will cover... That particular one with Uniworld will cover voyages in, in Portugal, but they're also planning to, to launch um, Amazon River Cruises later this year. So hopefully, um, if things do improve, they'll be able to to do that. Yeah, I'd love to think that, uh, particularly with the, the European River Cruises, that they will be back up and running in time for Christmas because those Christmas market cruises are just magical. 
Um, before we wrap up, I'd just like to say to any of the listeners, if they have got a particular question they'd like to ask, you've got a wealth of knowledge when it comes to, to maritime history and ocean cruising. So if people have got cruise questions that they want to ask, or even if they've got a cruise tip, they're more than welcome to get in touch with us uh, via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. But for now, Chris, until next week, thanks for your time again. Thanks so much, Barry. Take care. Okay, joining us on today's show is Robin. Robin's an Australian currently living in Europe and has recently completed a Tauk River cruise along the Danube. Thanks for joining us, Robin. No problem at all. Happy to help. Thank you. Um, so first of all, tell us a little bit about um, your, your expectations of a, a river cruise prior to joining the riverboat and the, the itinerary, I guess. Um, I didn't really come in with any expectations. I, To be honest, I did think it was for older people. Um, and ha- my friend uh, Sharon and I, we had a bit of a laugh about that, um, saying that we might actually be the most fun people on board because we are, you know, young and full of life and yeah. all of that. But um, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, it was amazing. Oh, good. Yeah. And you travelled on board the, uh, the Tauk Saver or Savor. Um, the itinerary uh, started in Budapest, but I believe you had a bit of pre-cruise time in Budapest? We did. We had a couple of nights there where we joined uh, with the crew for a welcome night, which was the crew and all of the uh, our brand-new best friends. Um, and... That was really well done. That was a dinner and a um, an entertainment, I guess, in uh, one of the old um, a palace. It was amazing. Yeah, it was a really nice uh, way to start the cruise and to meet everybody. Yeah, a really nice way to, to make some friends prior to your journey. Yeah. And then the, the total duration of the cruise, I believe, was what well, the, the holiday if people booked the entire package was 12 nights, but you travelled on the eight-night component of the river cruise, which uh, saw you travelling from Budapest to Bratislava to Vienna, Dernstein, Linz, on to Engelhartzel and Wielshofen. We'll talk a little bit more about the ports in just a second. But sure. um, um, as you walked onto the, the river vessel, what was kind of your first expectations? Was it, as you imagined, was it smaller, bigger? more elaborate? Um, I've done a lot of travel in uh, Europe, especially over the last few years. So I've seen the boats along the river. Um, Having not been in one, I was pleasantly surprised just how well, you know, decked out it was. But the biggest thing I found was that um, the, everyone was just so friendly. The crew were, you know, instantly inclusive, making sure you could, you know, find someone to talk to. Everything was in place. Um, Yeah. Everyone got on, on their crew and uh, people just had the best attitude. It was really fun. And I guess the embarkation process is a little bit different to river cruising than ocean. Did you receive your keys in your hotel before you were on the vessel or was there a bit of a reception as you arrived onto the the riverboat? Um, We arrived onto the riverboat and all came into the main um, lounge area and then throughout the evening, or well, throughout the uh, the first sort of hour, we went and properly checked in and were given all of our documentation. It was it was very simple. Oh, okay, fabulous. Yeah. And I guess at some point you would have uh, found your way to your cabin. What type of cabin did you have? Were you deck one kind of on water level or were you in a balcony on the, the higher decks or even a suite on the top deck? Uh, so interestingly, um, that the Saver doesn't have balconies, which we were really happy with because we did see quite a few along the river that had completely wasted space of balconies. Um, we had grand expectations that we might get the miraculous upgrade, but we actually ended up with a, we were in a loft apartment 
and it was fantastic. So it was on the first deck, uh, so at water level, but with massive uh, windows, so with a little mezzanine, so you could sit and look out. And um, we didn't feel blocked in at all by being sort of at water level. It was it was great. I'd choose it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, I saw those recently when I was in Europe, and I think that's quite unique to tout that they have these these loft um, cabins. And yeah. yeah, I agree. Like it's really light and airy, and, and it creates yeah. a, a really nice atmosphere on the lower decks. Um, what was the, uh, the the cabin layout like in regards to storage? Plenty of space for your bags. Was there enough space to move around the cabin? Was there USB ports? Plenty of sockets, etc. All right, uh, plenty of storage. We were able to unpack everything, and then bags placed under the beds. That was no problem at all. Um, there were two of us, so two women with, you know, I'd say an adequate amount of <laughs> clothing and shoes, and uh, there was room for everything. USB sockets, plenty. Lighting was great. Bedside table each, so, you know, personal items close by. Um, yeah, plenty of room. Plenty of room. It was really good. And in the bathrooms, was there the lovely shower curtain, or did it have one of the, the nicer glass screens? It was a glass screen, so a walk-in glass screen. Oh, lovely. In fact, I think our unit could have been uh, for disabled access even. Like it, it didn't have that feel about it, but I feel as though it could have because it was all one level and, and uh, slide straight into that shower. Okay, great news. Mm. Um, on Tauk in particular, they pride themselves on, on the dining, not just on the ship and off the ship. Mm. I know there's a couple of venues that you can dine um, on the vessel. Yeah. Uh, can you first of all explain the, the main dining room and also the more casual option that's available? Sure. So the main dining room, uh, we didn't have a full cruise, um, but I don't think that would have been a problem. I'm pretty sure you could have sat everybody in the main dining room at once. Um, the, um, so there were lots of options for either eight at a table or you could sit two to a table uh, to, you know, for a sitting. So you could group up or stick yourself. Uh, you choose both breakfast and dinner was pretty easy to go and find a friend and join one of the bigger tables. It all felt pretty cosy, but not small, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. And the meal set up for um, a la carte in the evening and um, buffet style for breakfast worked really well because, you know, breakfast you kind of came in and out at your own time. Uh, the bar at the back had kind of, I think, an American feel to it, like burgers and nachos and that sort of thing. We did eat there a few times, tables where you could – we sat and had uh, – just played cards a couple of afternoons, but you know, late afternoons, and had a couple of cocktails and and chatted to other um, passengers. The meals were great, whether you were in the main dining room or up the back. Um, they were super generous. I mean, by the time you've had a mousse bouche with your uh, cocktail in the evening and a three course dinner, we actually often didn't make it to dessert because uh, the meals were pretty generous and delicious. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. And was it very much regional cuisine from the towns and villages you were going to, or was it, do you find it repeat, repeated after a couple uh, of days? Yeah, so each day had a regional sort of theme to it with about five, I think, standard options. So, you, you know, the chicken, the fish, the beef, uh, you know, a steak or whatever. Um, there were some really nice standard options, and I did try a few of those, or you could go for the local in locally inspired menu, which included locally inspired wines, whether or not it was actually, uh, you know, Czech wine on the night or whether it was German wine that went specifically with that meal. Um, yeah, a lot of choice and, uh, yeah, really good food. And with talc, all beverages are included as well, so you didn't feel the need to upgrade to a higher quality of wine um, at all? 
No, look, I'll be honest. Uh, we we do have a couple of favourites, Sharon and I, and we did find out on, you know, one of the earlier nights that they had one of our favourites. So while we tried the local wines, occasionally we would uh, switch later to uh, um, to another wine. But, you know, who can, who can resist a Chardonnay de Pat? Just out of a bit of personal interest, were they uh, enforcing the, the hand sanitisation before going into the lounges and the restaurants and things on board at how very much on top of that? It certainly wasn't enforced. However, um, it was everywhere. It was right at the door on the way in and tucked in the, uh, on the way out as well. Um, and in all of the main uh, communal areas, there were um, – so inside and outside each of the restaurants – as well as in the main foyer and the main lounge upstairs. So people were pretty much using them just because it was right in front of them. But, yeah, I don't remember mm. it being enforced. And um, on the, the times that you're cruising during the daytime or the evening and everybody's actually on board the vessel, you mentioned that it wasn't a, a full cruise, but did you feel like there was plenty of space in the lounges and the restaurants and, you know, finding that, that special spot was never too much of a problem? Uh, no, it was dead easy. Um, you had access to um, up on the upper deck as well, which uh, there's plenty of seating up there to watch the view go by, but um, it was pretty cold, to be honest. Although they did provide blankets up there, which I was pretty happy with. Um, but in the main lounge area, you could tuck yourself up at one end next to the bar and actually sit at the bar or, or in more intimate seating next to the bar. And then at the other end of the room, there was more spread out seating where a group could easily commune or ones and twos could just hang out and read. Um, there was actually plenty of space to find your your own uh, pocket if you needed. Yeah. Fabulous. And was there any entertainment on board, be it on entertainment from the, the River Cruise Company or entertainment brought from the, the towns and the villages on board the vessel? Uh, a bit of everything, actually. There was one day where they had a special dance crew come on from I think it was Bratislava, and uh, there was also um, there was an onboard piano guy. He was pretty good. He kept us dancing till the early hours on Halloween, actually. Um, yeah, Halloween was a, a lot of fun. A few cocktails, but uh, the the bar staff were excellent. Their cosmos were amazing. Um, so you just you had to keep keep that on uh, a little bit in check, actually, because it was too easy. Um, but they also had an onboard. Uh, they had a chef come on as a guest, a guest chef, and he did a couple of de cooking demonstrations. And uh, so that was kind of late afternoon, you know, a bit of fun in the main lounge, watching him and listening to his stories. That was really fun. And he also um, designed one of the meals on board for one of the evenings, I think. So, yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, there was always some, something going on. Yeah, I think Tauk do a very good job of bringing the outside onto the riverboat, whereas a lot of companies kind of, it's all about the riverboat and what goes on board there. But Tauk seemed to do a really good job of, of making the local area kind of more um, more available on board the vessel. Yeah. And speaking of the destinations, um, if I quickly mention the ports that you visit, if you could just give me a little highlight, whether you did a organised activity from the riverboat or whether you did your own thing, be it cycling or on the river or sure. just jumped off and, and walked for, for a wander with um, your friend. Um, so first of all, we departed Budapest and we went to possibly one of my favourite places, Bratislava. Yeah. What did you think and what was your highlight? Um, oh, look, it was... Uh... It was amazing. Bratislava is beautiful. Uh, Sharon and my girlfriend and I, we uh, opted for the bike rides on most of the um, stops. So, uh, yeah, beautiful. Um, Bratislava was just small and um, 
I, I just we just love the history and the architecture. It's it's really beautiful to look at. Um, and from there we went to oh golly. Uh, oh, actually, Bratislava is where we did the cycling tour out to the Iron Curtain, and we we actually went into one of the bunkers, and um, yeah, that was that was pretty crazy to see just how close to town the Iron Curtain was. That yeah, that was crazy. Um, really eye opening, as it wasn't that long ago that people were living in constant fear, and you know, any food they provided for their family, they had to kind of give eighty percent of it away to feed other people. It was yeah, that was mad. Uh, Vienna, again, we did a bike uh, bike tour. And I had been to Vienna, but not in the sense that I got to see it on the bike. That was that was really cool. And with the commentary as well from our tour guide, she was really great. Um, Vienna, we had an evening in one of the uh, palaces, the Palais Palavicini, I think it's called, uh, with dinner and music and uh, ballet performance, actually. Oh, that was that was an eye opener as well. Just how the other half live, hey? Um, or used to live, I should say. Um, that was really fun. And uh, then we and the walking through Vienna in the afternoon. That afternoon was also really beautiful. Uh, the next day we did. did you have a sorry. Sorry, I'm just going to say, did you have an extended stay in Vienna? Were you there for a day and a half, two days? Um, no, we had a full day and a night. Okay. I think we we must have taken off pretty much on um, yeah we came in early left oh, actually Dave no we must have had two nights there oh gosh it wasn't that long ago you'd think I'd remember um, anyway we did a lot we were pretty much on the go the whole time um, and it kind of blended into one day but it was amazing it was really good and also you know who who doesn't love a bit of shopping and the the main streets of Vienna were all Christmassy and it looked beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I think people forget how uh, people book a river cruise thinking they're going to sit back and watch the world go by. But the reality of it is it's quite a bit of busy, active itinerary and you, you can do as much, little or as much as you like. But most people want to get involved and, and see as much as they possibly can in the time that they're there. Yeah, we definitely fitted a lot in. There was only one day where we really didn't move very far. We did walk the, the local town and then sat uh, cruising through the Wakao Valley um, after we'd ridden a bike through it in the morning. Uh, and that it was just beautiful. The autumn leaves were out, and uh, by the time we sat in the afternoon, we were really glad to be <laughs> relaxing for a while. Um, yeah, that was kind of midway through, and uh, we'd been doing, we'd been packing it in, and and you can, as you say, do that because there's so much to choose from. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So part of the Wacko Valley, of course, is Dernstein, which um, I'm guessing you did a bit of uh, wine tasting there, maybe. Uh, we didn't do. Well, we could have done some wine tasting, but um, we actually chose the cycling excursion, which went through the wineries, and we did go to a beautiful little um, town um, where we had, you know, just a one drink and it, right in the local area. It was beautiful, but um, yeah, there was an there was another option, which was the monastery visit um, wine tasting. We didn't choose that, but uh, you know, as again, you, you've got to make a choice, right? And we chose the wine. Yeah. <laughs> And then at your next port would have been Linz. You, you probably had a choice to go to either Salzburg or Chesky Krumlov. Uh, yeah, we did uh, Salzburg because, uh, oh, Sharon, my girlfriend and I, we went to Chesky Krumlov after we left the boat. So um, we were saving that. So, yeah, I hadn't been to Salzburg in a long time, as in, oh, golly, 1989. Um, 
and it was it was one of my favourites. But uh, stops, it was beautiful. Of course, we did the little you know sound of music museum and <laughs> had a little sing along in the bus. Dancing through the gardens, <laughs> <laughs> fabulous. And then um, I believe you stopped at a small town called Engelhartzel, which is uh, just before Passau. Yes, yes, we did. Uh, and we did a walking tour. And we, we actually went into one of the uh, a local home, which I thought was a bit bizarre. But, in fact, it was beautiful. One of the locals opened up their home and told us about living in the town and living in the area and, and uh, a bit of the history. Yeah, it was, it was really beautiful. Oh, yeah. fabulous. Bit of- and then getting close towards the end of your cruise, um, I think Wilshofen was possibly your last port before you then continued by road up to uh, Regensburg and, and possibly Prague. Yeah, yeah, we went directly to Prague and then and then actually grabbed a hire car and uh, went back to Chesky Kromlov. Uh, and, and we were so glad we did because the, we, we, we felt we really missed out with the side tour to Chesky Kromlov. Everyone said how beautiful it was and they were right. Uh, okay, so a really hard decision, but if you had to choose one port or one highlight, could you pick one out of that itinerary? Um, one. I, I would say I would, in retrospect, retrospect, take the tour to Chesky Kromlov and learn mo- a lot more about that stop because it was amazing. But my favourite was Salzburg. Okay. I just, I just love the whole um, township. Unfortunately, the. Um, uh, Call it the thing, the the little train that takes you to the top of the hill that was broken that day. Uh, so we couldn't go up to the top, but uh, apart from that, that was really you know, it was still the most beautiful tour, and we got to see the uh, monastery, and it was beautiful. And was there anything particular about the the riverboat or the the cruise line that really stood out as being a, a wow moment or something that really took you by surprise? Um. Wow, I look the community on board with the staff, and although it was their last uh, tour for the season, but I don't think that was why they were so accommodating and so amazing. They, the tour made it, the tour staff made it uh, a community and made sure everybody was included, and uh, that was really special. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that was probably it. The the people we met on board, the laughs we had, uh, that that always for me makes a holiday. Sure. And I think Tout do some some things a little bit different on board. They have uh, not just one uh, cruise director, but three tour directors that help them add. Do you think um, that makes an impact either way positively or maybe a little bit too much service for you as a guest on board? And I guess, does the cruise director make a significant difference to your vacation? Um, yeah, look, I, I think having access to a cruise director with questions being answered and the fact that they know the 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 itinerary so intimately you could ask them pretty much anything and get advice or have them you know direct you to uh where you needed to be uh that was amazing i mean one experience we had look i i had a cough it was nothing big and i said to one of the tour directors you know i really i need to find a chemist i know it's not going to be hard can you point me in the right direction well she insisted on walking us there to make sure we found it um you couldn't do that if you had one you know she kind of they they played off each other to make sure everybody was as I said included but felt comfortable and had everything they needed I I really liked that about the cruise that they were accessible um they also liked to party along with everybody which made it uh even better you you felt you got to know them a little bit which was nice they weren't just staff you know none of them were just staff yeah Mm. exactly 
And um, if there's one thing that you could say to Tauk, if Tauk were happening to listen to this podcast and uh, you had one thing that you'd like them to to know or, or hear, um, what would that be, I guess? Um, oh, look, just I, I did love the format, love the community. Um, I could have uh, easily gone, you know, longer. It, it was not uh, claustrophobic at all, which, I, you know, I kind of thought that might have been. Uh, but to be honest, we were asked to comment at the end of the cruise on anything which stood out, and we did. Um, they've already responded in a letter to me, so I'd say their communication is on point. I'm pretty happy with that. That's pretty the only comment I've got was Brilliant. bravo, Tauk, for taking the time to uh, read it and respond. Absolutely. Yeah. They don't hear that very often no. anymore. That's right. Who gets a letter in the Thanks, mail? Thanks, Robin. I really, I really, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate your time today. I really appreciate the fact that you've given us, you know, a real good insight into Tauk, which, as I mentioned before, is a, a relatively unknown River Cruise product, but a, a beautiful River Cruise product. And uh, whilst it was your first River Cruise, hopefully uh, we'll see you back on the rivers at some point in the future and we can get another review from yeah, you. Yeah, look, it was, it was fantastic. It was more than I could have hoped for. In fact, it was so fun. I might even take my husband next time. <laughs> <laughs> Great news. Thanks, Robin. Really appreciate it. Oh, no problem it. at all. Nice to talk to you. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage. <laughs>